Hi. Hi. Thanks for being here. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, uh, it's really pleasure being uh, having you in the podcast here and with all of your like work and everything. So thanks for making the time up. Pleasure. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. First of all, congratulations on your new book. Yeah. Uh, for someone who hasn't read it or like planning to, like, what's the best description or summary for for um, the book? So the book tries to address the theme of walls in yeah. a way. It, it's the it's, it's tale called of like uh, whispering walls, right? Whispering walls. Yeah. Um, it just came out in April and it's available on Amazon. Yes. Um, it captures the story of a Kurdish family five weeks before the Iraq invasion in 2003. Okay. So two of the siblings live in London and one of them lives in Suleimania here. Okay, yeah. um, it tries to capture the idea of walls, basically. Um, I've always been sort of mesmerized and yes, curious about term, huh? this idea of yeah. us people, you know, nations, individuals, repeating the same mistakes over and over yes, again. The cycle. Huh? And not learning. Yes. And to me, it seemed like there is a wall between us and the past which prevents us from learning. Mm-hmm. And uh, the best explanation for that wall would be a wall that's built by trauma. Mm-hmm. Because of past traumas, yes. we psychologically protect ourselves, but sometimes even nations do that and they end up repeating the same history. So I try, try to explore that traumatic wall, uh, which prevents us from growing and learning and uh, moving on. Yeah. But also um, I try to capture um, the harms or problems caused by patriarchy, not just for women, but also for men who yes. abide by it. Mm-hmm. What does that do for men when they abide by patriarchal norms? By that system, huh? Yes. Yeah. So first of all, like the name, I think it also goes with, uh, we have a saying in the South, I don't know like if you have it here in the region as well, which is like, even though you can't trust the walls, because like back then, like even the walls can like yeah. have ears and like can like, uh, sp- like spy on you or tell on you. So, like, was that uh, considered when, like, you named the book or, like, it's... So, just as the walls listen, I think the walls also talk. Mm -hmm. So, my emphasis is more on on them. You prevent, you build this wall to protect, but whispers come from it, Mm -hmm. you know? (laughs) Hints from the past try to infiltrate into your life. Yeah, because, like, it's a fixed structure. Because, like, they are witnessing, like, generations and generations of families, so, like... Of course, they they can whisper. They can also whisper yeah. things, tragedies of the past. Yeah, so it's like fictional characters based on like somewhat real events or like... Yes, I mean, so I utilize uh, real world yeah. uh, events like the invasion of Iraq, the anti-war protest, yes. um, the Kurdish-Iraqi conflict. There's a relationship in the novel between the Kurdish woman, mm-hmm. one of the main characters, and um, an Arab man. Mm-hmm. And I try to explore the idea of a new Iraq and the relationship between Kurds and Arabs yes. through that love relationship and mm-hmm. whether it will work or not. Yes. And uh, any final words for someone who's interested for the book? Like what should they put in mind before going into it? So I think if you're interested in, um, you know, memory, mm-hmm. family stories, yes. trauma, national and family trauma, mm-hmm. the interwining of the two, yes. uh, ethnic conflicts, Uh, history. Do we have that? (laughs) (laughs) No, surely not, surely not. Um, And things like that. So I I think it's about the effects of history on individuals Mm -hmm. and the lived experiences of people, but also about what wars do, what violence does to communities and how it divides them. Yeah, yeah. And okay, so funnily enough, like uh, we, I haven't taken one of your classes. I was planning to for like uh, fall 
2021 or English, I think 102 it was. Right. But then like in the instructor changed. So shame. like, yeah, yes. yeah, it's a shame. <laughs> and like I've I've heard like stories about like your classes. So uh, as someone who hasn't taken any of your classes, like would you suggest for a student <laughs> to like uh, go through that process oh, and like course. what what yeah, yeah i've heard like uh, like the the process of like the 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 extensive excessive readings that you have mm-hmm. and uh, the overall theme of of your classes so like what what can you elaborate on that well i think i i try throughout my classes um social justice matters to me yes Ish, in particular uh women's rights matter to me and that's something i've dedicated more than 20 of years of my life to so the literature i teach the theories i teach um are trying to problematize inherited views and ideas yes. you know from generation to generation we we all end up with these common sense ideas that we've inherited from our ancestors yeah. from our cultural values from our religious values from our community and we usually take them for granted and we never question them because there's consensus we live yeah. in a community that believes in the same thing nobody challenges that and our education system in Iraq and the Middle East mostly I think mm-hmm. doesn't teach us how to question yes right doesn't doesn't actually encourage us to question and doubt yeah. and as a result of that i think we get stuck in some values that are no longer suitable for a changed world mm. you know culture is not static it's changing all the time yes. so you need to update your values so that it fits the modern world rather than sticking to values that are no longer relevant and they are oppressive so i try to um through my teaching through i mean i love literature yeah you know my yeah, yeah, is, I'm yeah. a, i am a writer yeah. and i love theory mm. i studied philosophy uh and i am a feminist so i try to sort of use literature use theory and use critical thinking in order to in particular interrogate the patriarchal system mm-hmm. because in for example the course you went to take yeah, yeah. english 102 is critical reading and writing. Yes, so you so go you, through the Hansmeter, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. So you, you, the idea is to learn to question, to consider arguments, to see if it works, to see if the premises work together, if the conclusion is correct, if you have enough evidence and so on. So it's interrogating argument and learning how to make arguments. And uh, it teaches you not to be easily brainwashed. Yeah. So in order to question the premises and the conclusion. So I try to do that through the questioning the patriarchal argument. Mm-hmm. What is the patriarchal argument which justifies women's oppression and men's superiority? Yes. Are the premises uh, correct? Do we have enough evidence? Are there counterexamples? Uh, does it all add up to the patriarchal con- conclusion that men are usually, because they are more rational and aggressive and logical, better than women yeah so that's what i try to do but i also try to another for example last semester i taught creative writing Mm -hmm. i am very passionate about writing as you can imagine and i think many people can write um maybe they're too scared to Mm. maybe they've never tried it or had the opportunity but um, like any other thing if you apply yourself if, if you practice if you read and we have the opposite too we have some young people your generation yes. yeah <laughs> that writes and publish but they don't read other people's mm-hmm. work i think as a writer you have an obligation to read to like expose yourself to like all the different schools of thoughts and everything exactly and yeah. to know what has been produced in your language yes are you going beyond that are you because con- you may be thinking that 
you're producing something very new and this is innovative, but it's actually been done before. Mm. So if you don't know your historical literary history... You can't build on it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You can't go beyond it, you can't build on it. Yes, yes, of course. And like you you, you discussed like the, the idea of like uh, obsolete values and like the ideas of uh, how we should change traditions, but like also like taking the other side and engaging the critical thinking. Yeah. Like back then, I think it was a bit more dangerous to question everything and like to uh, be opposing that much because the the risk to reward ratio back then was so much different than now. Right. Yeah, yeah I think now it's like, it's not easier, but like in some sense, it's, uh, possible. it's possible for like someone if like, uh, like to... Uh, collaborate on wrongdoings whether through like social media or like i think the world now is a bit more encouraging of that while back and especially in the region here mm. i mean like it's, uh, i know it's not like uh, a perfect utopia here but it's definitely better than 30 40 years old back then because like the killings were i think m- much more detrimental and much more like this, the whole situation back then was stricter than now. Yeah, would we, you agree had, with that? We had a dictatorship. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. thinking was censored. Exactly. Books were censored, yeah. right? Uh, films were censored. Yeah. Any dangerous idea like freedom and liberation was questionable and, mm-hmm. and, and censored. And one would pay with one's life if you went against exactly. certain things. Yeah. So I, nowadays, it's probably not so extreme. Yes. I agree. But I think we also are in a stage of fragmentation of the truth. Yes. Unfortunately, there are so many different agendas pushing different kinds of ideas mm. and selling them as the truth. Um, and we know from history that if you repeat a lie long enough and enough it times, become truth, yeah. yeah, it becomes truth for some people at least. Mm. So... Um, no matter how untrue it is, if somebody makes up something about you and thousands of people start repeating it, yes. some people will believe it about you yes. because they don't know you, they don't have any access to other sources of information. So it's it's yes, it's possible to think critically and to, to question, but it's also sometimes difficult to know the truth because there are so many different agendas pushed, in particular in our community here through social media. Yeah. Uh, there's so much manipulation, there are conspiracy theories. It's more difficult, so it takes a lot more to know what is right. And I, and I was I asked this question today in my class yeah. because it's towards, as you know, it's the end of the semester. Yes, yes, and, yes, so finally. You know, and um, I've had very smart male students who yes. usually get the arguments um, about justice, about equality, about rights and democracy, yeah. but they're so resistant to women's rights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, I just yeah. asked, and before I started the Zoom call, I was like, I'm not recording this out yes. of interest as it's a just teacher. I just want to know yeah. what happens. I would like to hear from the male students here. Why is there resistance? Why, you know, because if you tell them about, for example, um, you know, racism is not black people's problem. It's actually white people's problem, yeah. right? The Kurdish problem is not actually the Kurdish problem. It's, a, for example, the nationalist state of Turkey's problem mm. or the previous nationalist state of Iraq's problem. Similarly, women's problem is not women's problem. It's men's problem or at least patriarchy. Yes. It's a system of um, 
uh, that creates the inequality. So why aren't you drawing these parallels? You understand these other causes. Yes. Why don't you understand them? So it was very interesting. They came up with some explanations and uh, some very good ones too. Yeah. Like one of them said, um, so we usually, a man who believes in conventional uh, ideas or traditional views mm. usually would be socializing more, with but, uh, similar people yeah. the woman he would know mm. wife sister cousins mother mm. they would be part of the system and they wouldn't be uh, challenging it mm -hmm. so he thinks they're happy uh, the friends he hangs around with never challenge it and it's they an think it's right chamber, yeah basically. exactly yeah. yeah and another person said well because of gender segregation in schools for example yeah. boys and girls boys have never learned to listen to girls or learn about yeah, their experiences like, like uh, most and like myself included like most people go grow up in like separated schools so like you would go to only men or female uh, women's school so like up until university like i think only for uh first and second grade like i went through classes that were mixed yeah. so like that also affects the way that you view you the relate. world yeah, yeah yeah because i think we Girls and boys here and men and women, when they grow up, they are not they do not relate to each other as human beings. Yeah. So if there is a relationship of, for example, kinship, yes, they are either sister, my sister or my cousin or my mother or, mm. or my wife and no one else like colleagues, but they're not really social Close. relations. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, in a in an ideal world, men and women would be human beings that relate to each other, talk to each other, uh, share their pain and you know their their uh, experiences with each other but here like in iraqi and kurdish social circles whenever there's a social gathering the men would sit together in one corner the woman would sit yeah. in another corner with the children the men would be talking about football and politics the woman would be talking about you know other things yeah. or, you know and there isn't this kind of crossover because we as human beings, we have many shared interests and yes. values. Yeah. Why is it that we cannot talk to each other? This culture doesn't allow us to explore that space of friendship, of camaraderie, of working together. And that's why it's problematic for men to understand women's experiences. Yeah, I think also like going back to the question that you raised about like, why do you like value these, let's call them like traditional right wing values more than being more accepting of women rights. For me, I think it's like the way that the system is designed, like it's more appealing to young men than rather... To religious. Yeah. Yes. Like, and like, <laughs> I'm as myself, like, uh, I believe in like some right-wing values as well. But uh, because I think for like young men, they are providing... M more things and more privileges than yeah and like you raised this issue i think in 2018 in like a podcast that you did in new zealand right mm -hmm. yeah you talked about like how feminism shouldn't be women against men it should be like it should be us against yeah i guess injustice and everything and that's like the things that should be more of the whole image of this movement and i think it would be more uh appealing for for the young men it's like it's not women are trying to replace us it's yes, like yes. Uh, us working together and, and actually yeah mm. i think it's not the the voice that's being 
mostly broadcast amplified yes. yeah i think it's 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 also because i mean if you see even patriarchy is not just men of course it gives more privileges to men but so many women are part of the patriarchal system and yes. they uphold the same values and they don't believe in women's rights they don't believe in women i mean many women don't vote for other women they don't think they're qualified they would always vote for men during mm-hmm. elections many women would favor men many women would like to have boys instead of girls right and many women feel privileged if a man talks to them and would um, much more value the word of a man over the word of a woman so patriarchy is not men and feminism is not women mm. it's actually patriarchy is a system where men and women uphold this value system that privileges men and feminism is a value system which could be including men and women upholding equality between men and women. Yeah. And so we are trying very hard um we have a project currently in the Center for Gender and Development Studies um called Masculinity Violence and Prevention. And okay. one of the things we are trying to do is to bring men as advocates of equality yeah. as as um you know not just as the perpetrator of crimes, not as victims of violence, but also as agents of change they can also contribute mm-hmm. to bringing about social justice. Yes. Uh any final remarks on the subject before like we want to talk about higher education now. Um not just that. I mean I I have been teaching at AUIS for nine years now. Yes. I've had many students, sometimes a student who does not get the argument, yeah. who continuously looks at his watch and wants the class to be over, yeah. has got back in touch with me a few years later saying yeah. I found that class very interesting or the opposite has also happened where sometimes yeah. they get the argument and they go back to because whether you like it or not uh, in AUIS we live in a bubble. Yes, that, I also wanted to like Yeah, uh, because we We, there are many ideas that we can discuss here and we can address here. But like they are not applicable on the on outside the world. And yeah. then sometimes when students graduate, they go back to that dominant discourse. Yeah. And, and from everywhere. Shock. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes they it's much easier to go back. I mean, I've seen that even with men who, you know, Kurdish, Middle Eastern men who have lived in Europe for years mm. and they've had to take responsibility for household chores, for child rearing, for... Yes. all of that and then when they come back here they go back to the default setting <laughs> yeah because it seems all the men are sitting down and having their yeah. tea while the women are serving them it's good right mm-hmm. so it's easy to go back to the traditional value because it gives you more time and more advantages so i think i just hope those who do come to a uis come because we uphold certain values and one of them is gender equality mm. because we believe in justice and we believe in rights for men and women equally and come to these classes with an open mind yeah i would su- suggest the same yeah but actually, yeah. but many people unfortunately um don't want to engage in that argument i've had students telling people you know later i was told that so and so doesn't want to come to your class because they're worried that you will influence them mm. and i'm like i don't understand that logic because if your belief is strong enough whether it's religious belief it's faith mm. or your cultural beliefs about value system or whatever yes. then it should survive questioning exactly yeah. yes you yeah. question it you still hold it true because it survives that test but if your values are so shaky that you cannot you, exactly. you're too scared to yeah. question them then i worry that you're not you've inherited beliefs that you don't even know what they mean yes. so come with an open mind to university wherever you go it's the time where you are challenged mm. where old values are reconsidered and allow yourself to grow and develop 
Yeah, I mean, of course, like that's one of the things about like the AI's bubble you discussed about. Like there are also like uh, bubbles inside this AI's bubble mm-hmm. and like where uh, people are often like so strict and like so closed upon their friend groups and like their beliefs and their like uh, hangouts. Like they are not uh, opening for like like there isn't a lot of conversation happening no, in between be- yeah exactly yes. and i think that's going to uh prog- like it's going to affect also going back to the after graduation it's like these little bubbles are also going to be bigger and bigger yes. once you yeah and yeah. this is why i think we should have more lines of communication like everyone should be willing enough and like putting the effort to hear the other side yeah because like it would be better if we like even if you don't agree with the other side like at least you would be understand yeah yeah you would understand like where they are coming from and yeah we see that as you said i mean we as professors here we try to mix students yes right yeah girls and boys arabs and kurds yazidis and muslims we yes. try to pair them up together in group work to see what happens yeah and to get them to talk to each other um, usually what happens is that during that class activity there is a mingle And then after class is over, yeah. everybody goes yeah, back to their group. To their group the, <laughs> the Arabs together, the Kurds together, the Yazidis together, yeah. the Muslims together. And that's a shame because really diversity is a strength. And it's like, it's one of the things about Iraq. It's it's such a diverse country. It's yeah. such a, we have so many nationalities and people living here. But like, there is, I don't think there is a lot of, open line of communication between everything. Yeah. Unfortunately. And I think that's partly why You know, you have um, people who are completely ignorant of each other's histories. Yes. Arabs of Kurds, Kurds of Arabs, Shia of Sunni, Sunni of what, you know, what, uh, Turkmans, um, you know, many, many of these things, if we stick to our own group and mm. that reinforces our own ideas, we never really know the full truth. Mm. Yeah. And we never really know how what we believe in could be oppressive to other people. But in these conversations, uh, yes, there's a period of doubt. Yes, there's a period of I believed this was black and this was white. And now there is a gray area and that's scary. Yeah. But actually, a lot of creativity and invention happens when you come out of that conversation of opening yourself up to the other, yeah. of learning about the other's experiences and maybe creating something new with the other. Or if not, at least... You went through that process. Yes, an informed choice rather than an ignorant choice. Yeah, and like also like to to be more understanding of the situation, like I kind of like get why this is happening. Because like for students who are like not from this region and like who are living here whether in the dorms or like outside, like you, you are away from home and like you 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 are attached to it uh, but it, like you don't realize that until like you leave mm. so like it makes sense to surround yourself with people who remind you you remind you of home yeah. exactly yeah. like i found myself like right now like when i started there like when i began, when i joined here like 2019 my first like my first couple of weeks it was about okay i just want to Uh, get to know people who are outside my city and everything but like right now uh, m- <laughs> most of my friends are p- people in the same city where i grew yes, up yes yes because like it's comfort it's, yeah it's easier mm. like it's it's people who went out and hung out in the same places that you want to like you 
probably share a lot of stories together. So like I get that why that's happening and like we need that like for students like it's it's difficult living in a, abroad and like you of course like you can elaborate more on that like mm. uh, a bit more. But like if, even for like students who are just one hour flight from home, uh, it's difficult here. Yeah, like you have to do everything and you have to rely on yourself. Yes. And this is something that you are not used <laughs> You're not used to cooking and cleaning for yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Tell mama. Yeah. Yes. So, oh. so yeah, I find, like it's, I end comfort. Yeah. It's easy. And also you don't have to translate things. Yes, right? exactly. So That's I, also how like, like my British friends, I was language, continuously yeah. having to interpret or, you know, if I told a joke, I had to contextualize yes. the joke. Yeah. Whereas when you're talking with people from the same community and culture, it's all immediate you know mm. they understand you get it you laugh you whatever but i think you need both right you need the centering yes. of the self of your own identity but you also need to be exposed to others i mean i i lived 26 years abroad um uh, first i lived in iran we lived in turkey for a short time and then i was in britain and the last four years i was in germany and Every time I've started from scratch in a new country and I've met new people and I've learned or studied in a new language, mm. I have grown every grown language. Process, yeah, yeah, you know, and for your own strength, personality and, and resilience, but also all the people that you met, all those amazing life stories that are very different from yours, all those uh, particular experiences that you would never have uh, and you will see the world from different perspectives. And I think that's the thing. In English, you know, we have this expression, put yourself in someone else's yes, shoes. Yeah. We don't have that in Kurdish. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we have it in Arabic. But, but you no, know, no. that's a very important yeah. one, to, to put yourself in someone else's shoes. And we don't do that. Yeah. We're not taught that. Um, some mothers are good and they always say, no, you should know that your friend is angry with you because maybe you did something. But many mothers in this community believe that their child is right yeah. and the other's no wrong without knowing, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and that's a very bad thing because you really need to, nobody has the full truth. Yeah. Nobody has all the rights. Yeah. It's somewhere in between. It's always in between. It's, it's always all in the gray area. Yes. <laughs> it's all in the gray area that yeah. we don't like. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you talked about like living abroad for 26 years and, and everything. So you, you got like your, bachelor's degree degree in cambridge right oxford in yeah. oxford yeah, yeah. Uh, and then like you pursued higher education with like your master's and your phd so like for someone who's not considering doing higher education and like i just want to finish ios and do something else uh why should someone like consider that besides like the pay raise and everything no no i never thought about pay raise <laughs> <laughs> I know that's a major factor. Yeah. Like I like in my early years when I had returned to AUIS, yeah. I would see students that were very good at argumentation and beautiful writing, beautiful, yes. and they would be studying engineering. Yeah. And I was like, why are you studying engineering? You're obviously good at thinking and writing and expressing yourself and ideas and theory and they would be like oh but i don't want to be without a job mm. we, you know i want to have a pension you're like you're 18 you don't have to worry about a pension yet secondly um i studied philosophy i went to oxford as you mentioned i studied philosophy everybody in my family and surrounding you know community they were like you're going to oxford why don't you do st something important yeah what are you going to what job will you have with philosophy I think if you're good, you will never be without a job. I've never had any problem finding mm. jobs because employers don't necessarily look for 
business skills or engineering skills. Sometimes employers want creative minds. Yeah, like you are, you are good at what you do. Like you yeah. bring something to the yeah, table. Yeah, and, and you're uh, dedicated and yes. you're hardworking and so on. But in terms of pursuing higher education, I mean, I think it's a very personal choice and it depends on your thirst for knowledge or lack of it. Yeah. I was always very curious. Mm. Um, I think one of the issues I've had since childhood, I've had many questions. Mm. You know, um, I remember asking my religious teacher questions when I was a child and he shot me off, shot me down, uh, asking my parents questions that, you know, wasn't comfortable, uh, wanting to know more, wanting. And for a while, I was very much interested in philosophy. But after I finished my degree, I did my master's degree in philosophy. And then I became certain, actually, I am not interested in these abstracts. How do we know what we know? Yes. I'm much more interested in why does war take place? Mm. What happens to communities why when violent conflict? Recurring why again do, and exactly. Again. Why, yeah. What happens to communities? Why don't they recover so easily? How mm. does trauma affect people's lives? And these questions were much more to do with community, society, history, uh, political context. So I shifted gradually from my PhD. I studied um you know, uh, gender and migration, refugee women's experiences. And I I really, for my postdoc research, postdoctoral research, I researched about women survivors of genocide, the yes. Anfal campaign, 1988. And I, again, I had these questions. I know that um, I wanted, I watched many documentaries about the Anfal genocide, yes. the gassing, the mass uh, graves, the incarceration, but there were many questions about women women's bodies, mm. about sexual harassment, about how they coped with miscarriage, with giving birth in prison, with the death of children from starvation and illness. So many questions that I thought I didn't have the answer to. Yeah. So I think if you are the kind of person who has questions, mm. who's curious about the world, who wants to know more, and who wants to understand their own community, then obviously, and even if it is not about community in your scientific field yes. if you want to know more uh, if you're not um your thirst for knowledge is not satisfied absolutely but i'm cute I'm, I'm, I'm i've always been suspicious about people who choose their studies based on their career because yeah. honestly that changes mm. you may when you're 18 even when you're 20 or 22 you may think that you want to do something. Yes. Yes, but you change your mind. Yeah. You grow, your interest grows, uh, opportunities open up that weren't open to you four years ago. Yes. So I think study, it's, I've always said that to students and nobody listens, study what you love. Mm. Uh, we have uh, the English department here, the smallest major, uh, right? The um, lowest number of students graduate from the English major simply because they think they can't find a job and parents don't want to pay private university tuition fees for yeah. English. But I always say, if you love this, if this is what you want to do, please do it. Because mm. university is, is the time for doing something you enjoy, learning in the field you enjoy. And you can always do so much more with it later. Don't mm. worry about the future. Um, graduate studies is not for everyone. Yes. For me, I wish I could do another PhD. Really? Yeah, absolutely. I, I would love to have some time yeah. where, you know, I don't have to work. I focus on a particular question. I read and collect data and analyze it. I think that's fantastic. It mm. will never happen again. <laughs> yeah. I can do research, but with research comes many other responsibilities. I think PhD time is a very good time. It's before you have your family. It's before you have responsibilities, before you worry about bringing in an income, you know, yeah. and you have that time to do this thing that you love. So 
I think make the most of it. Yeah, my uncle actually like he like he first graduated from like uh, our, uh, agricultural field, something like agricultural engineering or something. Yes, yes. And then like he couldn't find the job, so like he uh, decided to go and study law again. So like he graduated from being a lawyer, and then like he did his masters in somewhere, and like he did his PhD in Egypt. So like it's and like he did all of that while being married and have like three three children so like it's it's interesting to see like how like you change like you are not the person like you shouldn't stick to a decision that you made that you are when you are 18 years old absolutely like, my brother studied uh, mechanical engineering and he's never worked as an engineer he's always worked as a journalist yeah he was one of the founders of independent um journalism here and that's been his passion since but when he was a uh, 18, 19 years old going to university, he had good grades. Yeah. And everybody was like, you know, everybody like either becomes a doctor or engineer. Want a bit to like make your parents happy. Like, you know, yes. this uh, this uh, certificate would make them really, really happy. So, okay, I, I can help with that. It's a, it's a very kind and big sacrifice. Yes, <laughs> it is. Like, it's, it's a difficult choice you have to make. Like, either follow your passion or like... Uh, make, be on peace and like good terms with your parents and it's always yeah. as we said the gray area the gray, you, yeah, yeah you have to you have to both compromise and yes. see what's, what happens yeah it's it's a difficult choice for students and like i i kind of also get the parents point of view as we said like they they come up from a difficult generation and yes. like they have been through sanctions and like yeah they have seen bad times yeah <clears throat> like our parents always talks about like during the 90s or like when Iraq was under sanctuary uh, uh, from I think the US right and internationally yeah, yeah. international sanctions <clears throat> yeah like they talk about like how difficult it is like just get a piece of bread and like how yeah. difficult it is to find food and that's for uh, people who had like their middle and like higher middle class yeah so you get the way that they they think this way, like they want the best for you. They want security for yeah, you. Yes. yes, they want you not to be hungry. Yes, yes. exactly. Yeah. So uh, it's always like there is always a counter argument and there's always putting yourself in other people's shoes to yeah. see like their point and everything. But uh, yeah, it's like for sure, like few still have the thirst for education and like doing more research and everything. Yeah, you can do it. Uh, next, I want to talk about like the <clears throat> the conf- the confusion currently among the, uh, the like young people, especially our generation, because of the the difference from like what we see online and what's <clears throat> what's the current state of our households. Because like you're on your phone like for multiple hours a day, yeah, and you see like all of uh, the agenda and all of the uh, cultures of the outside world, and there is a gap yeah. with our households now and our values. So, how do you think that would result and how it would be turned out? Well, it's very interesting because um, representation, media representation, is again yeah. one of those things that's very divisive. So, for example, um, there's um, uh, I I don't remember the author's name. There's an, an um, 
an Arabic uh, journalist who's done this study about Arab women's image in the media, yeah. in the Arab media and uh, international media. Yeah. So, and he contrasts these images of uh, in the international media this representation of Arab women as hijabi, oppressed, uh, sometimes uh, you know, in um, even in burqa. Uh, rights taken away from them yeah. Muslim women generally sorry not Arab women and and then uh, and then he contrasts that with Arab satellite channels representation of women as yeah. you know these free sex objects who are dancing on stage and singing and yeah. free See, and that, experience that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and there's nothing in between in reality most women are in between these two extremes yes. and their experiences and their reality is not represented because in a way, there are political agendas mm. uh, behind each of these images because yes. the yeah. West wants to portray Middle Eastern women as the oppressed and need saving by the West. Yes. And, uh, you know, Arab media wants to show this progressive image of our oh, community, women are liberated, we have no problem. In fact, both of them are false. Mm. Uh, there are very few women who are either this or that. Uh, the majority, as I said, are in between. And um, I think this is the problem of... Um, generally being allured by media by by not just media actually by literature by film by music even our idea about romance is mm. very much socially constructed by films and songs and media right about what is the love story and the happily ever after yes. you know we always see the couple until they 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 are united and then we think that's the end of the story in fact, that's, the story that's the beginning the beginning of the story <laughs> and sometimes it's an unhappy story and yeah. happy ending so i think we have very heightened expectations of love mm. and nowadays because of all the satellite channels and pornographic channels we have heightened expectations at least men have heightened expectations of sex Yes. And heightened expectations of the world, of experiences. Um, in fact, this happens on many different levels. I remember reading about the sea yeah. in novels. I, you know, I, when I was a teenager, I lived in Iran. I studied in Persian, so I read a lot in Persian. And I had not, never seen the sea. I'd only read about it in these novels, and it was amazing. And I always wanted to see, see the sea. For the first time when I was 18, I was in Istanbul and I saw the sea. Yeah. And I was very much disappointed. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, because we create the, the symbolic world, the literary world, the yeah. imaginative world is sometimes... It's perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. much more enhanced. The reality is much more dumbed down. So even expectations of women's beauty, of many of these daily experiences are shaped by... The media and like, uh, yeah, uh, advertising and yeah. media of, as I said, even of sex, real sex is not like that. That's not how relations between men and women work. And sometimes real women are flat mm. in when men encounter them in reality, they report that they feel that this is not they have been cheated. Yes. Yeah. And it was much better when it was in the mind. So I think it's very uh, dangerous, this virtual world or uh, or digital world or media world. Uh, this symbolic world that creates some ideas that do not reflect reality. I think we need to have our feet on the on ground, the ground yeah. and and to experience things for ourselves um, without, you know, I mean, these heightened expectations can only lead to disappointment in reality about mm -hmm. love, about friendship, about sex, yeah. about community, about everything. Yeah. And um, instead of trying to copy that, 
because I mean certain people do. I mean now we see plastic surgery. Yeah, many people. Pretty common. Yeah, it's it's okay. uh, everybody's trying to copy this image, yeah. and this image is and not real. And everyone is like starting to look the same. The like same. That. Yes. <laughs> yes. That, I don't think that's like attractive for the most people I know. Like if if everyone starts to look the same, like where is the Cool. individualism yeah, exactly yeah. yes and they sell this is the sad thing they sell this as individualism mm. yes so for example the latest fashion item like yeah. uh, it's a purple bag or it's an orange and or whatever it is buy this be yourself express your individuality but in fact so many other women are buying it yeah. you are not if you follow fashion if you follow these trends of beauty and whatever other standards there are you are actually becoming part of the cla- the crowd but yes. but uh, you know capitalism neoliberalism the advertising machine is so strong behind it that actually it persuades you don't want many to people. feel left out and everything yes, so yes. you join this yeah it's difficult um and i think it's become more difficult for younger generations than it was at our time i was just joking with a friend the other day and saying uh, we were lucky that you know the mistakes we made were not recorded on camera yeah i agree yeah Nowadays if you make a mistake there are so It's many phones everything like, is filmed yeah. and everyone can see you and laugh about it and Yeah if you yeah. say something on Facebook and you regret it there are so many screenshots already yeah. you know and in our time we there might have been an embarrassing moment or you might have made a mistake you would move on yeah no one had and to people know would forget yeah. but there are evidence now yes. there's evidence that you did something so i think it's you lot have it much tougher and i think that's why it's very important to be much more aware and to be um above the current actually to understand where things are leading to protect yourselves i mean this is a conversation i have with my daughter all the time i'm like trust cannot be easily given yes i gave trust easily when i was a child the costs were low yes you give trust to a friend now the costs are very high yeah. yeah and it could lead to a total social death in the future a stupid mistake you make as a child as a teenager it could lead to major problems yeah, in the future it could propagate and like follow you for a lifetime yeah like, yeah. yeah like one of the things like i've been told that you know uh, watch out for what you say here because like you don't know like how it would follow you whether like in in grad school or in like the workplace like everything that you will say and like do would follow you everywhere so like it's it's also one of the things that I really had to consider to like uh, think be about careful. yeah, yeah. because and especially uh, here like for like people can like cancel culture <laughs> yes yeah it's 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 not only like just getting kicked out from like your workplace it's like it's it's fatal like it's, it's a social death yeah, yeah social death yeah. yeah but also the fact is um you it could be taken out of context yeah so something you say you're actually trying to say the opposite yeah yeah but they cut out yeah, yeah. that's that, that happens like everywhere yeah. like you just like put a five second clips of like multiple and many hours conversation and you you ruin it and yeah 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 unfortunately so yeah i think that's one of the like issues of like our current time like because like we are so entangled with the internet because like it's so easy you just pick up your phone between classes or in class or like mm. and you just like scroll and scroll like and that like never ends yeah and like our attention span has been affected by yeah. that like i remember like a couple of years ago like you would easily like just open out a movie and just watch for hours or like pick up a book or do something but now you are always your mind is 
frustrated like you 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 you, you want this in- instant like dopamine rush and yeah it's it has like affected like this generation and i think it will affect it even more and more in the future especially now like we can see with like artificial intelligence yes. and like yes. the the tools that has been uh like invested in like they are pretty popular nowadays yep. and i think they are going to rechange education because like <laughs> now students can do so much more with just replacing e- yeah exactly yeah, yeah and that's like leading to my next question is like as an instructor uh, first of all like how is it different from being a student and second of all like how are you going to adapt to the artificial intelligent machines that are it's a very scary one that one yes. but, but what did you mean about the first part how is it different yeah l- from like being a like you like you have studied like masters and phds uh, and you have been through that process through the system yeah. okay yeah so it's i was but just now saying you are that, teaching that yeah i mean i was just saying to my class a uh, couple of lessons back that actually in in my university where i studied um Every two weeks, we had to write three essays. Yes. So every week, one essay for philosophy. Every two weeks, one essay for psychology. An essay and a half a week. Yes. And for each essay, you had to read five to seven sources. Academic book chapters, journal articles, and so on. All academic sources. And uh, obviously, it was philosophy. It was very difficult at times. I have even language issues. But that's what we did. Yeah, and sometimes you would stay up all night to finish your essay, but we did it. Nowadays, students might have like two, three essays a semester, maximum four. And they complain too many deadlines because it's very difficult to get students to read. Mm. And in particular, unfortunately, I mean, I read because I was interested and I if I had time I would read even more than suggested but I was very slow because of language barriers and not having a background in philosophy but nowadays I feel that if you teach a book if there are summaries online the students will go and read the summaries so I try to um, have this sort of short writing assignments in class yes Of course, during the COVID time, we couldn't do that. Uh, So for two years, we put that on hold. But I try to get students 15 minutes a week just to write. uh, Because like you can make them actually like supervise the whole thing. Yeah, I am there. I know that they have done it. And also um, what matters to me is is their original work. It's their language. And I usually say to students, look, I know your English level. Mm. I have graded your writing assignments in class. This essay you've produced is perfect in terms of linguistic structure and grammar yeah. and mechanics. And this is not written by you. So that also helps me assess the level of the student's thinking, their writing skills, their you know their English uh, fluency. Um, but also I, I try in those small writing assignments to um, get them to connect it to something in life. Okay. So whatever I ask them about the source we've been studying, so for example, I've been teaching The Handmaid's Tale again yes. this semester, I teach them about something in the novel. For example, uh, what's the purpose of testifying in this novel and whether or not it's successful. And then I ask them to provide a similar example in real life where this kind of mechanism works mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. So it's very important to me that students don't just get it about the book, but they also can apply that 
to real life. Yeah, yeah, and that like I think that's the higher level, like the highest level of like studying and understanding something is like applying it to real life. Yeah. 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 So you know, the, in the novel, there's a quote where Aunt Lydia says there are more. There's more than one kind of freedom. There's freedom to and freedom from. So mm. freedom. F- from choice or freedom to choose yeah and uh, we are giving you freedom from we are you are free from choice and we you're free from violence and we're protecting you and we're providing for you yes. therefore you are really free yeah and and the question of freedom what does that mean when we're free to choose are we really free when we're free from choice are we really free and give me an example from real life i think these are very good and they lead up to that taking that extra step and connecting ideas to one's real life um I find that as you said students read much less than they did in my generation. Yeah. Um less curious uh about ideas um maybe overwhelmed by too many things. Yes. Um there are so many opportunities to go out and socialize and um social responsibilities and um opportunities but in our time studying was the thing yeah and like i think as i like talked about like the internet has changed this whole generation and in many different ways like back then you weren't always aware of like what your friends are up to and yeah. what your uh, second uh, third uh, cousin is doing in another city and like we are so like hyper focused and like so we are so engaged with our like virtual identity and virtual uh, profiles that we are kind of disconnected from here and like another thing like a lot like you didn't have to be always like comparing yourself to people who are like uh, there is i don't know if you watch football or not but like there's a 15 years old player that uh, has just won a major league Mm -hmm. a few days ago Mm. Like I'm, I'm considering. Like I was talking to my dad the other day. Like he's, uh, he's uh, at the same age as my like my little sister. Mm. And like, what was I doing when I was 15? Like he's out there winning tournaments and like, what, Yeah, like what have I done? Like because like we have so many like examples of like people who like made it. Yeah, when when at a very young age and. We are in constant remind pressure pressure to to become to that. Yeah, but um, that's not the whole story. I mean, a person who achieves it, or you know, whatever it is, gets the recognition at fifteen. What happens to the rest of their lives? Yeah. yeah, we don't know that story yet. Yes, and some of them, it's an anticlimax. You achieve your best at that age, yeah, and it that, goes down. That's what happened to the actor and like Home Alone. Like he he became so popular at a very very young age, and like how like it, it it plays with people like you yeah. are not success at yeah. an early age where you can't handle it and yes. you can't manage it so i, I think it's uh, you know my father always said my father was a poet and he said uh when you crave when you're young you crave recognition and prizes yes. most of the time you get it when you're too old to care yeah yeah and when they honor you they give you prizes it, it doesn't matter it doesn't anymore, matter anymore yeah. the ideal situation i think is it would be when you're middle-aged if you build towards success yeah. right um because it's also if you win the nobel prize early on in your 20s what's your next work going exactly, to be like yeah. yeah what's your next book or your next discovery going to be like it's a lot of pressure yeah. um i think it's very important to keep things in perspective but i i, I agree we've we've 
it's a very competitive and tough world. Mm. Um, I, you know, we have this expression in English, big fish in a small pond, yes. right? Many of us have been big fish in a small pond. Mm. Like um, you perform well, uh, you stand out uh, somewhere because maybe the others are not doing so well or they don't care enough to, to do well. To do well yeah. But if you compete in the sea with the other big fish, then that's the real competition. But... <sighs> My problem with all of this is why are we so achievement oriented? Mm. Yeah, why do we measure our lives by achievements? And I have done that. You know, when I was younger, a year when I had my birthday, I always had to look back and say, what did I achieve this year? Yes. I don't think, um, now I'm older, I don't think it's about achievements anymore. Yeah. Yes, of course, it's wonderful to have a new book out because, you know, you've worked on it for like, yes. I've worked on it for like 20 years on and off. Yeah, but... That's not what gives my life meaning. At the end of the day, what gives my life meaning is that I feel that I'm doing my best. I care about justice and I do my part for justice. I care about the fact that I have tried to do no harm in whatever situation I've been in. I did my best. Sometimes I have failed. Sometimes I've fallen flat on my face. But I have in my life, good people and relationships that I love, mm. a place that I call home and a small garden that I love. These are the things that give Not life them. meaning, yeah. right? Because achievements at the end of the day, I mean, so many people who are achievement oriented are not even happy. Yeah. Because the minute they achieve something, they're looking for the next and then the next, it's like an addiction. Whereas to look at a flower in the morning, to think about sunsets. With a peace mind. Yeah, mm -hmm. and to have a clear conscience yes. and to know that you're doing your best. That's all we can do, right? Um, to, to be to be good, to be supportive, to do, to stand by our values. For me, that's very important. Um, and there have been moments where I have been pressured to compromise on what I believe in. Mm. And I have not done that. And I'm proud of myself for that. I think that gives life meaning. Things that you care about, the small things that everybody... Mm -hmm seems to think they are not important, but they are. I mean, going back to the relationships, family, friends, yeah. you know, um, colleagues where you work, uh, places where you feel good working there. Yeah, and These like, things matter. Yeah, one of the like sad things about like our generation as well, it's like most people are like career oriented and like so fixated on career and like achievements, as you said, where like they are starting to abounding like the things that actually matter, matter like, yes. like family is like I, i've always talked about this like family is one of the things that you should really pay high attention to and you should really do your best as you said to like uh, try to have like good relationship whether it's your parents or like it's your partners or like your children because like at the end of the day like that's what really matters yeah like, that's like there's no point in achieving it all when you are alone up in hell like no like there would be no one like no one would care about that yeah if you die alone or live in a nursing home they did a study actually years ago they followed a group uh for i think it was a longitudinal study so they followed them for 20 years or 30 years and they found out the most the happiest people in mm. that group were not the people who had the most money yeah and not the ones who'd done the most achievement oriented people it was the people who had the most stable relationships yes and relationships in terms of marriages but also friendships friend circles and so on they were healthier they were happier they were more content of course the study was done about men mm. it didn't include women but i think 
I see the logic in that. I see the logic of connections because that our, you know, our connections to the world, the natural world and yeah. to the community is a very important thing that sustains us at very difficult and dark times. So it makes sense that these would be the things that sustain us at the end. Yeah, like even like Steve Jobs, like on his deathbed when like he was asked, like, what did you wish like you have done differently? Like he said, like, I wish I spent more time with my like daughter yeah. or like my family. Because like this is someone who has like uh, changed the way of the future and like he created yes, created problems yeah, for us. <laughs> yeah, the, the uncalculated risk and like yeah, yeah. so yeah. that's one of the important things. Uh, like we are reaching an hour here, so I want to ask you about like your favorite movies and TV shows because like that's our. a uh, question throughout like for every guest so like what's your favorite movie and what's your favorite tv show oh goodness i have so many yeah. i don't know where to start from okay <laughs> <laughs> i'm all ears <laughs> films i i like films um what could i say drop my memory i watch films all the time um hmm the latest i don't know i can't think my mind is back <laughs> but i ah goodness pressure Yeah. So um there are many films that I loved they may not be my favorite um alone but for example the film many of the films that of course are about women or about yeah. um injustice slavery racism sexism holocaust and uh, these films matter to me I I I watch them and I'm notorious I cry a lot when I watch these movies yeah. um of course the, the few years ago there was the world the film The Wife yeah I don't know if you watched it. Uh, uh, yeah, it was had... about a man, a writer who wins the Nobel Prize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I haven't watched it actually, but like I think it was nominated for like best actress, like the yeah, yeah, it was nominated for yeah, best actress. Yeah. yeah, I think it won a few prizes, but I'm not sure what. Um, so it's it's the relationship between a married couple. One of them, both of them are writers to yeah. start with, uh, but the man gets recognition and he wins this major prize at the end. Have you seen Big Eyes? Big eyes? No, I haven't. Yeah, it's 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 also like it's the same thing. Like he, uh, it's based on a real story where like the the husband is like pretending that he's a famous painter, but actually it's his wife that he's he's keeping locked up. Like she does all the painting, and like I don't want to spoil anything, but like it's it's such an amazing movie. That's uh, Amy Adams and. I don't know the actor's name, but it's an amazing movie. Yeah, sim- yeah. similar stories. Um, for example, she says this recent film about yeah, I've seen that, what actually. started yeah, the yeah. U2 movement, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, New York Times. Um, women Speak, it's about women. It's it's a sort of um, fictionalized version of patriarchy. So these women who are drugged and raped by men of their tribe, they have this conversation about whose fault is it uh, should we forgive them should we leave the community yeah. should we uh, put them you know what is justice um um there are many others actually i can't think of but you know of course the films about the holocaust sarah's key was one mm. of the things that stayed with me a lot uh, schindler's list schindler's of course amazing yeah, yeah it's, it's, um it's one of my favorites yeah. i mean you know um uh, the famous uh, American actress Sophie's Choice. Yeah. Yeah. The, these are films and and uh, about slavery also, you know. There there are these are amazing films. I I also like fantasy. Yeah. For escapism. Yes, yeah. <laughs> It's nice to sort of get into this other world, but um I think Matrix the first one was good. Yeah, um, it's amazing. Yeah, and um 
this uh, avatar again the first one was very good yeah. these you know because it's also about utopia and dystopia yeah. and all of that so it's, it's they sort of address issues uh, of or a future about the worst case scenario, the best case scenario, yeah. and so on. So these are philosophically interesting, but also very well made films. Um, it's a cliche to say I very much like the um, Game of Thrones. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> even see, sorry for that. Yeah, technical issue. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So you are talking about Game of Thrones? Yeah, of course not. The like the last episodes that twist all of that was quite out of the blue yeah. but i i very much liked the conversations about you know politics uh leadership uh, justice truth mm. all these questions that i thought the dialogues were fantastic the acting was very good the scenery was beautifully yes, shot and so on it's, it's like it's truly like one of the best tv shows but like the way that they ruined it and at the end it yes leaves such a bad taste and have you seen the newest tv series like house of the dragon terrible really i thought so i thought the acting was very bad it got better towards the end yeah but it started off the english um actors i mean it was i thought it was like i, I, I like it I really thought, like after the bad taste of this last season, I wouldn't get invested in the in the universe. But actually, I really enjoyed it. Oh, after good. That. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It yeah. was it was pretty fun. Also, like, but uh, there was a drama series called C that was very interesting. A yeah, world I didn't people... like that. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't enjoy it. A lot. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I I really thought this is a very interesting idea of exploring the idea of sight as something evil, mm. which has brought destruction. Yes. And yeah, in a world like people... a pretty interesting yeah, premise. Yeah. yeah, and also in a world where not being able to see is an advantage and privilege which reconnects you to nature and, and life and people. Mm. Um, I thought that was very uh, interesting. But um, yeah, what other, what else is out there? Uh, you have taught The Handsmaid Tale. So like, what do yeah. you think of the TV show? I haven't seen the TV show. I have watched the old movie. I didn't like it very much. Yeah. Because they, yeah... Most of the time, if you've read a novel, the film is not. It's not that. It's yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Yeah. For me, it's the other way around. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Well, I agree. Like something like The Hobbit or, you know, yeah, like Lord the, of the, the Ring. The, those the, are the, the visuals are like, much so better. much the experience. Yeah. yeah. But sometimes if it's a complex story, like 100 Years of Solitude by Marquis, um, when it was made into a film, no. Because mm -hmm. so many ideas and conversations are missing from that. Yeah, I agree. So I think... Well, the episode. Yeah. What final remarks would you like to end with? I have no idea. I just think um, I hope people will read again. Yeah. Uh, because I mean, it really stimulates a different part of your brain. Yes. It keeps your imagination alive. Uh, it prevents Alzheimer's, or yes. <laughs> it goes against it. Uh, maybe it delays it. Uh, it it engages a different kind of the brain and it keeps you alive and young and, and it keeps you connected to your imagination and your ability to empathize with other different kinds of people in different worlds. I yeah. really hope people will continue to engage with reading and I would hate to think it's something that's going out of fashion. Yeah, I hope that as well. Yeah. I hope we go back and see what worked in the past and like we take that and see what didn't and we would improve and move on. Yeah. So for everyone, thanks for listening, Dr. Choman. It's Thank a pleasure you. having you here. Thank you. Yeah, have a good day. Bye. <laughs>